This is one of those stories where you can learn that the people around, save probably Haman, love the believer not because the outward worship stylings or preachings or PR pieces, but just how she conducts herself. And the entire kingdom of believers was saved because Esther and Mordecai treated people with respect and were honest. We've got a terrific program and we're actually discussing, I think, my favorite book in the entire Bible. So I'm really excited and I appreciate that you guys are here. So why don't you introduce yourself to our viewers and share maybe your favorite color? Well, my name is Angela and my favorite color is brown. It comes in such lovely shades and it matches everything. I think you are maybe the first person I've ever met. <laughs> ever. <laughs> like, it's ever. not a common one, I know. That's the color that I would get when I mixed all of my paints together. Exactly. Right. It's, it's a bringing together of all colors. Makes something beautiful and brown. Well, I can respect that. Okay. <laughs> um, my name is Vanessa, and my favorite color is red um, because it is a very unignorable color. Is unignorable a word? It is now. My name is Elroy, and uh, besides wearing Angela's favorite color, uh, my favorite color is blue. You know, blue is cool, it's calm, it's chill. So that's why I like blue. And I'm Phil, and I'm going to stick with Elroy. Blue to me has always just been a favorite, and it comes in so many great shades. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, to begin, Elroy, do you mind reading our Bible verse and having prayer? Sure. All right, our verse is taken from Esther 4, verses 14. And it says, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Uh, Father God, it is ultimately an honor to be able to serve you on whatever way, um, today we do it through conversation, and as we go through the book of Esther, may you continue to reveal to us and the viewers today uh, what your meaning for this story is, is our prayer in your name. Amen. 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 Well, this story comprises 10 chapters, and we're not going to read through them all, and uh, we're not going to put them up on the screen. Mm -hmm. So let's just kind of paint in broad strokes the story of Esther to our viewers. So what are the events that happen? How far back do you want us? <laughs> do you want to go? In the beginning, um, she was an orphan, being taken care of by her uncle Mordecai, and right. sounds right. And even before then, before uh, that happens, I know that there was a king named Ahasuerus, but um, I something like that. In the Greek, I think it's King Xerxes. Yeah, I actually easier. want to say with Xerxes, yeah, right? Yeah. And so he was having a party, you know, a big feast, uh, lasting many days, and. People were getting drunk, and uh, this queen, you know, his wife, Queen Vashti, uh, he wanted her to uh, come out to his drunken uh, men in the audience. Mm -hmm. And so this was something she refused to do, and because of that, she was kind of dethroned. So, mm -hmm. so then Enter they, our Esther. Esther really. mm -hmm. <laughs> so they needed a new queen. They looked for her. They found Esther, mm -hmm. which was great because she was in a position where the Jews needed to be saved eventually. Right. And God used her to save the Jews. Right. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the broad stroke of the story. So we're, this whole quarter has been on missionaries. And Esther and Mordecai, they never go out anywhere to witness to people. They, why would we consider them missionaries? I well, heard you breathe. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think we're stuck 
Um, at least maybe in the United States, on the idea of a missionary as somebody who travels, who, go, who gets in a boat, who gets in a plane, who goes to those people over there far away who need to be saved. But missionary really it can be the person next to you um, who you, you reach for Christ. So you can reach for Christ next door or you can reach for Christ even in your own home. So um, that's why they're considered to me personally missionaries because they got across to their own people. Um, and, and I believe to this day, people in that region of the world call themselves Esther's children. So it's, it's kind of like the impact that you make is what makes a missionary, not necessarily the, the movement or travel or whatever, what have you. Yeah, and it's not like everybody around her believed the same thing. Right. You had two very different groups, and her people weren't necessarily even respected right. in the land that they were living in. So it's not that, you know, she was just in a community of people just like her, and she was talking to her fellow, her fellow believers, but she had a lot of people around her that not only didn't respect the beliefs, but didn't respect the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to me, being a missionary is often going against the grain. You know, you have your set of beliefs and ideologies, and it's not, it's not the norm, it's not what's popular. Mm -hmm. But you have this goal to uh, spread your truth in an area that, you know, this truth isn't widely known. Mm -hmm. so. And I love the impact that they had both on, you have the Persians and you have the Jews. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the two of them, Esther and Mordecai, have that effect where they show the Persians who God is and and how powerful God is in that you know he he leads his people he protects his people in you know whatever means possible mm -hmm. but then I also feel like it's a great example to the Jews who might have been forgetting or, or thinking that God had forgotten about them and you know here is God just sticking up for him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I think I think it's kind of powerful and I agree with you because I often when I think of missionaries I think of someone that gets on a boat or a plane travels far away for a year or a career or something like that. Mm -hmm. And here they're kind of reaching out in their own area. Mm -hmm. So we've got several people in this story that um, are kind of key players in this story. And I feel like there's some really good lessons and points that we can learn from each one. So out of these characters, all of the characters mentioned, are there any kind of lessons or points that really stuck out to you? Um, to me, I look at Mordecai. You know, Mordecai is this guy who's sitting there, you know, by the gates, uh, and Haman comes around, who's recently appointed, he gets into this, you know, high position, and everyone is supposed to pay him homage, you know, is supposed to bow down to him, if you will, and so he walks by Mordecai, Mordecai knows his faith, and he stands strongly in his truth, and so, uh, you know, whenever Haman walks by or what have you, Mordecai is not bowing down, and so this upsets Haman, and I think that was actually the catalyst for Haman not necessarily just wanting to punish Mordecai, but his entire people, his whole nation, he's that upset and that prideful. Um, can you imagine, you know, like you, somebody treats you wrong, you're like, not only am I going after you, but I'm going after your children, your children's children, your whole state, you know, and the guy is just, he's, he's just crazy, but the courage it took for Mordecai to just stand strong in his truth really stood out to me. I love Haman. I think he's <laughs> what? Dope. I love him. He's my favorite. Haman? Yes. <laughs> You're gonna have to explain this. He's like, like he's the best villain in the Bible. Come on. All right. What I what I like about him is that he's such a perfect example, like textbook example of the human 
need for or desire for glory and the pride and the I think he was very smart and I think that he um, he identified the reason this person is not giving me the glory and the respect and and the you know the adoration that I command from everybody else is because his identity his identity is the problem and that's why his people were the problem so it was almost like he to me very clearly shows us number one where humanity goes wrong and the pride and the sin from the garden from Satan um, and number two um, how it's just a perfect contrast to Mordecai who was not trying to get any glory at all and in the end ended up you know receiving the honor and the glory that Haman wanted so desperately like it's so ironic to I just love it it's hilarious you clear that up very well that's a really good point though I didn't think of that mm -hmm. I've always really been fascinated by Haman's family Hmm. Like, they're lesser characters in all this, but his wife especially had a lot to do with, with not only, like, he'd get upset by a situation, and it's almost like he'd take it home, and, go and, and she him. just let it mm. get even worse right. and worse, and instead of doing anything to calm him down, like, get over it, it's not that important, like, she almost stirs it up. Mm -hmm. Mm. And you know, at the end, we see that it doesn't end well for any of them, any of his family. But it was mm. almost like a, it sounds cliche to say like a negative environment, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it wasn't just him. Mm. It was, like you said, part of his identity, mm. his family, the people around him were also a part of the problem. Mm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. You know, and what stood out to me, because I kind of go to the lesser characters as well. And what I found interesting was Queen Vashti, mm. who, you know, the king has this party, he gets everybody, everybody gets drunk, and he decides that he's going to bring her out and show her off. And, you know, who knows what he wanted her to do, but the basic idea is that she decided that it was below her. Mm. As a queen, she should be more respectable and conduct herself in a way that's more respectable. And so, you know, the lesson even says, like, no matter what she chose, she was yeah. she was gonna not be punished, but it was wasn't gonna work out well for her. Right. right. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people today, you know, she had money, she had wealth, she had the good life, I assume. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people would choose that over kind of keeping their character. Mm -hmm. And she chose her character. Mm -hmm. And to me, I, I wonder what happened to her and kind of how her life played out. We ne we never hear that. We don't right. know that. But I think, you know, maybe God rewarded her for standing up for what she felt was right. Or maybe it's even a lesson that, you know, you can stand up for what's right, but it's not always going to work out for the best for you right. in the, the here and now. Right. And, you know, I feel like we, we have this mentality that if we, if we do what's right, we're going to get rewarded. And unfortunately, I feel like she didn't necessarily get rewarded, but I have so much respect for her that she did what was right. Mm -hmm. And it needed to happen because if she had taken a different choice at that time. Right she might have stayed queen for another 30, 40 years or something, but it wouldn't have set the stage for this story in the same way. Mm. You're absolutely right. right. That's what I've always wondered. If, if Vashti had never been removed, then Esther wouldn't have come. Would Vashti have been able to save the Jews? Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's a deep question. <laughs> question. Well, here we have, we have Mordecai and we have Esther, and they're, they're kind of strangers in this land because their people were taken captivity. So... What can we learn from the fact that twice Mordecai urged Esther not to reveal her nationality? 
What can we learn from them? What can we learn? I mean, because I feel like we're kind of, the idea is that we should be proud of who we are, whether we're Christian or, you know, whatever it is. We should yeah. be proud when we're going out there and just say, like, up front, this is who I am. But yet, twice, he told her to keep it quiet. Do you mm -hmm. feel like he was um, kind of asking her to, to lie in a sense? Or do you feel like you... I think there's a time for everything. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of us want to walk around with the proverbial S in our chest, you know, like Superman. But even uh, fictional Superman had his Clark Kent character where he mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily revealing, you know, who he was to everyone. He lived uh, a quiet life, a normal, did a normal job like everyone else. And I think uh, this is what Mordecai was kind of telling Esther, you know, uh, still be normal, still function within your necessarily ro necessary role, but don't go to the point where you're all of a sudden uh, trying to say, oh, I'm a Jew, and, and we need to do this, we need to be delivered right now, because any misstep or um, in her speech or in her actions would have completely thrown off the plan that God has set. I think, it, I think um, the surprise reveal had a lot to do with it, where sometimes, I was just watching a TED Talk yesterday about biases, and it's like, it's different from racism, and it's different with, with, with um, prejudice against religions, where we have natural biases that we don't even realize and they affect the outcomes. So it's kind of like, you know, withholding information is not necessarily lying. Um, and I think that it was instrumental in the king forming his opinion about Esther as a person rather than, oh, I know you're a Jew from the, from the start and therefore I believe this about you and your people before I even know you. And that's a good point, because I, I feel like what you're saying is that her character and her characteristics, uh, not her characteristics, but her character preceded, you know, some label. prejudice yeah, or yeah. some label. Right. So she was able to kind of get herself and her personality and character, you know, at the forefront, right. instead of closing off, you know, the, the, the empire, mm -hmm. because she's got that label of being a Jew. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, when I talk to people, I have, you know, I come across people a lot and I don't say up front, I'm a Christian. I either allow people to tell me that, like, you're a Christian, aren't you? Or when they ask, when they know me well enough and we've gone deep enough into whatever, our relationship or our conversation, um, then I bring it up because I want them to know Christianity before I name it or before I feel the need to, you know, categorize. Mm. It actually is just love that I live and then, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the difference, it's a big difference between if you put that first and then try to live it out, or if you live it out and then give, name the source. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between doing that and just not saying it because I don't want anybody to know. Right. Right. And usually when you're doing that, it's because your actions and how you've been treating and interacting with people, you know that doesn't match what you claim to believe. That's a good point. And so I think every once in a while you will meet people that will hide the fact nobody needs to know what, you know, who I believe in mm. because they know how they're living out mm. just mm. doesn't match. And then there come questions and then there becomes, wait, I thought you guys believed this. Mm -hmm. right. Right. And mm -hmm. there's all of that. But I think it is very different to live the life that demonstrates what you believe in order to fully explain 
what you believe before it's even out there. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the beautiful thing is that um, for what Esther did was she didn't uh, do this whole rise uh, to prominence by herself. It was a community-oriented thing because if you go back into the, the book, I can't remember the chapter, but she goes and she asks, I think she tells Mordecai to tell the Jews or what have you to pray for um, pray and fast, you know, for me, this is a serious decision. So she doesn't just mm -hmm. go and, and reveal her identity on her own. She asked mm -hmm. literally, I think, what, what was it, for three days to have uh, people fast for her uh, for this huge decision, this big right. reveal for her to make. So, And I like that because that's another point that, that came out to me where, you know, she really kind of draws on God. Like she leans on God throughout this process. I mean, we don't know all, all that she did, but that big event was coming and she turned to God. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just her, it wasn't just, you know, the king. She, she leaned on God, which to me is a really powerful lesson too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's get to our verse. This is actually, I told you that Esther is one of my favorite books or my favorite book. This is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. And so, so Mordecai says to Esther, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And to me, that's what's so, empower, so powerful, uh, such a powerful thing for Mordecai to say. What did he imply by that? And what lessons do you draw from it for our lives? Hmm. I love the such a time as this part, because I think at that point, that kind of shows that there was turmoil, that there's a crazy situation going on at the time, and somehow there's a need for a hero or a need for a savior plug, you know, because later on you see in the chapter the same thing. Jesus comes for such a time as this, if you will, to go and save his people. So every single time where you see the, the Jews being oppressed or the nation of Israel being oppressed, someone rises up out of the ashes, out of the issues, and eventually, you know, delivers God's people. And so that's what I glean that, you know, uh, no matter what, uh, there is always a time for someone to come and deliver. And on that, I love how Mordecai, he, he basically kind of puts it out there, like, if it's not through you, God's going to save his people. Right. I love the faith that he had. Like right. He knew that God was going to rise up, whether it's through her or someone else. He, it's, for me, he had a very good, clear understanding of the details and the big, bigger picture at the same time. Mm. And I feel like sometimes, or most of the time, we struggle with one or the other. But he basically was like, listen, I know my God. I know uh, that he loves us and that he's going to save us, big picture. Like, with or without you, we are going to be okay. But it's no coincidence that you ended up where you are, being an orphan, being a Jew, being, you know what I mean, with all the things stacked against her that made it so unlikely. He was trying to tell her, listen, you have a destiny that's sitting in front of you, um, and, and, you know, this, it could be the very reason. Like, she probably was wondering the whole time. It probably seemed very bizarre. Like, what am I even doing here in this palace? And, oh, my goodness. And what? Queen? What? Crown? You know what I mean? So I think, for me, that verse is about him really, like, helping her understand. Everything has been lined up very well. And God is both the big picture God and the fine details God. And you, we need to have the faith that what we've been set up for is like, boom, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get done. That arrow is going to hit that bullseye. Am I making any sense? Okay. Yeah, like, okay. I think that's a great analogy. Like that arrow is going to hit the bullseye. God's got a plan. Mm -hmm. I think it also gives some importance, at least as I'm reading through the story, on the pathway there. Mm -hmm. 
it's not just that Esther was this amazing woman right. who trusted God and trusted her uncle out of nothing. It was a lot of little steps that, that gets a person there, a lot of character building moments, mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of training. And while you're going through that, you don't know what it's for. Mm -hmm. As we build our characters, we don't know where it's gonna lead us or what situation, mm -hmm. possibly big and dramatic, that we're gonna end up needing mm -hmm. all of this for. And so I wonder how many people God wanted to prepare, but just sat back and mm -hmm. said, eh, I don't need to worry about this. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. And so I think that to me is an encouragement as I'm going through the little tiny moments mm -hmm. that I don't know why this is my path, but God who knows the big picture is the one who put me on this path for something. Mm -hmm. And it's not just in that big reveal moment that, that you figure it out, but it's, it's the character building. Mm. And that's good. I, I like that because for me, I know the whole story. So I know that she becomes mm -hmm. queen. Mm -hmm. There's this whole problem that she's got to step in and, and protect her people. But yet she didn't know that story. Right. Mm -hmm. And it got revealed as time went on. But to me, that's really powerful because I never really thought of it, that, that she didn't know the story. We know mm -hmm. it, but she didn't know when she became queen what the next step was going to be. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. And even I think her, her hesitance had something to do with the fact that she, she's thinking to herself, well, I was his favorite, but now I haven't seen him in a month. So I don't know how he mm. feels about me now. And there was that added thing, like not only was it illegal, punishable by death, but on top of it, she was like, I don't know where I stand with him. So I think that was a very valid um, thing for her to, you know, for, to be in her mind. And that's why he had to, he had to, her uncle had to say it to her that way. Like regardless of what things look like today, there. Who knows if this is the reason why you're there? You're you're still there, mm. whether or not how you feel about it, or you know what's been happening lately. The fact of the matter mm. is, all these little steps have gotten you to this pivotal as a pivotal point. And maybe we shouldn't be looking at our surroundings because you bring out right. a very good point. Like right. she didn't necessarily know her standing with the king at that moment. Right. So maybe we shouldn't be looking at the, the kind of physical surroundings that we can see or our right. situation. Circumstances. It's great, but you know what's funny? Sometimes we're so afraid to ask. And I think because we're so afraid to ask, it keeps us frozen. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, Esther, I think, had a legitimate fear. Her life was on the line. Her nation's life was on the line. But, you know, um, there's a moment for everything. And, and I think she waited to ask for the right moment. And had she not asked, you never know what would have happened. So, so this book is somewhat controversial in that it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God by name. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, for that reason, felt that it shouldn't be in the Bible at all. Hmm. But to me, I feel like it really does teach some good lessons about God. And so I was wondering if I could ask you, what are some of the lessons that like, kind of came out to you or popped out to you that represent God or represent our relationship with God um, from this story? Well, it didn't, I mean, I've contemplated the thought that there was no mention of God before, but when you said that, what it what really pulled out to me is, like we were just talking about, she didn't talk about who she was or what she believed mm -hmm. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, this book is kind of does the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like it tells this whole huge story about God and how mm -hmm. he saves his people without mm -hmm. saying it was mm -hmm. him, like with that mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. And so the book itself is giving that example, that living out the story of God 
showing all of his actions without naming him, mm -hmm. just like she was doing from the very beginning, mm -hmm. living out her Jewish heritage without naming it. Mm. That's a fascinating mm. point. Thanks, you inspired it, <laughs> I love that. I love the fact that God at this, um, in this particular book, can kind of sit back, not that he's sitting back, but um, you know, without necessarily mentioning his name, you get overwhelming evidence that he's right there. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in his promise, uh, he speaks through his people, through courageous acts, through their um, willingness to serve him, through their unwillingness to bow down. And I think because of that, it, uh, it, it sets the stage for him not necessarily to be mentioned, but uh, for his demonstration of his love and his grace and the fact that he defeats all their enemies in the end. Like they're all done in the end, you know, so. Mm -hmm. You're right, not just Haman, mm -hmm. but his whole family. His whole family. Right. For me, per, just on a personal level, I just have things that I'm not willing to do. Like God will, will tell me, hey, please do this. I need you to do this, or prompt me to do this, the spirit, and I, and I say no. And if at any point at this, in this story, Esther had said no, it would be a very different story. So for me, that's just something that I need to learn. Like, not learn, but it's just a, a an spiritual maturity as I age, as I have my various experiences with Christ and my relationship with Him, to just say yes, to end everything. Mm. It's not easy. Um, and I, you know, sometimes I'm Vashti, I'm like, that's beneath me. Mm. Or it's not worth my life or the risk or whatever it may be. So that's what I take away from the book. And that's a challenge. You know, I was reading this and an, an analogy came out that to me was really powerful, but you have the, the part where Esther goes to the king and she's a Jew, she doesn't belong in the Persian court. And that means death to her unless the king extends his welcome to her. And he, he loves her so much, whatever, that he extends that welcome and and just request, like whatever it is you request, I'll give it to you. And to me, that reminds me of our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Like we're called to, to go boldly to God's throne mm -hmm. and we don't belong there. We, we are sinful, we, we just don't fit. But yet God extends that grace to us where we can, he saves our lives and even asks, you know, like whatever it is you need, I'll give it to you. Mm -hmm. And to me, when I read the story and when that kind of popped out to me, it just gave me a really good, like, in-depth view of God's love where, you know, like, it's, you know, it doesn't outright say this, but it just seems like such a good analogy for God's love and accepting for, of us, mm -hmm. which I've always loved in this story. Right, 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 man. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I mean, there's a verse later on in the New Testament, I can't remember where, but I think it says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, ask what you wish and it shall be given to you. And the king pretty much just says, you know, right, whatever you need, you know. Um, so I love the fact that we can go to God and ask and, and not have this fear of him calling us out on our identity or sentencing, sentencing us to some death. Mm. In one sentence, tell me what was your favorite part or uh, maybe, I guess, lesson that you learned. Favorite? <laughs> <laughs> um, God works in everything. Hmm. Um, women are just as important in the story of salvation as men. Be careful of who you try to set up for you might be setting up yourself. All great thoughts, and I appreciate you all being here as we discuss the mission of Esther. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool, the letter U, .org. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information and transformation. It's for the head and for the heart. 
For Sabbath School U, I'm Phil Riley.